Thank you, Mary and Sarah. Thank you for leading us in worship. Our prayers for Aaron that he gets better soon, along with many others, I think, that uh, it is tis the season. But appreciate you coming today. It is great to see you. And uh, some of you seem like I saw just a few hours ago, but uh, we appreciate you being here and continuing our Christmas celebration. Uh, I think next year, Christmas may be on Sunday, so uh, we'll have an even quicker turnaround. But uh, what greater time to come together, continue to celebrate the birth of the Christ child. I know that you have celebrated in your own way over the last 24 or so hours, and, but uh, great to be with uh, family and church family and old friends and new friends. Good to see you today. Appreciate uh, already our time of, of worship. We are spending this day concluding a series of messages that we've been uh, looking at uh, this December called Back to the Future Christmas. He's still king. And so we have been looking back at uh, some of the prophecies about the birth of the Christ child. And uh, we're concluding that today and understanding that uh, with every promise, we don't want to, some of us just, we kind of want to get back to the way things used to be. And some of us, you know, we're kind of getting close to that. But really what we need to do is to be ready to move forward. So we're using this time, preparations for our church as we move forward into 2022, uh, for each of us individually to be ready for whatever the Lord may have in store for us that we might grow and become more and more. Remembering that He always fulfills His promises. He always fulfills His purpose that He has for us. We are, a couple of verses going to look at our prophecy, our, our verse of prophecy we're going to put on the screen here. So I'd rather you go to Luke chapter 2 which I know probably sounds familiar. It is an old story, but it is a great story that is told. You may have read it in the last day or so. We're going to read it again. Who knows? We may continue to see new things every time we read God's Word. It is my hope and prayer for you all this morning. But as we look at one more prophecy uh, about the birth of Jesus from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 will also be one that is uh, familiar to you, but we find Matthew 5 verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And then if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, look at verse 4 to begin with, where it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. The prophet Micah lived 700 years before the birth of Christ, yet through the voice of God, the written word of God, we find that he prophesied that Jesus would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Now, unlike the town of Nazareth, whom you would have never heard of and whom has not been mentioned in history, hardly except for the fact that we know that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, Bethlehem, however, has been known only in the Old Testament and even history because it is the a birthplace of King David. So it seems kind of a likely uh, in regards to that Jesus would be born a descendant of David and that he would be born in Bethlehem even though uh, his parents, his earthly mom, stepdad uh, were not living there in Bethlehem. But let's read again. Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 14, part of the Christmas story. So we've kind of hopefully come maybe to a climactic time, those of you that's been part of the services here. But would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word today? Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration from Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee for the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. 
to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. And you may be seated. It has been this week in the town of Bethlehem. Tens of thousands of pilgrims have traveled there and have come to what is the church of the nativity that is to believe to be over a series of caves to where the birth of Jesus may have taken place. Now, nobody knows exactly where the birth of Christ took place in, birth, in, in Bethlehem, uh, but it's a small town, so it could be that they're close, if not in the very spot. For people that go to the church in the nativity time this year, time of year, they probably, is the same reason that maybe people go to the garden tomb in Jerusalem at Easter time, because people come and they want to feel close to God. They want to be able to maybe even feel God's presence and maybe a touch of God. Some perhaps are just curious of, uh, and want to be where this may have happened. The church of the nativity itself is kind of an amazing structure. It was first built in the 6th century and it has, or at least parts of it, has continued to remain even until this day in spite of many attacks on Israel and many attacks particularly in Bethlehem. In fact, the Persians came and were destroying many things in Israel at one time. And they came into the church of the nativity and they saw a mosaic of the Magi dressed in traditional Eastern dress. And they may have been, been, been from Persia. And because of that, they left the church of the nativity alone. There was an earthquake in 1834. There was a fire in 1869 that destroyed all the furnishings of the cave. But it, the church continued to remain. So somebody wrote about the church of the nativity in Bethlehem, these words that have been inscribed. It says, the church survives, speaking of the church of the nativity, its dignity though battered is not tarnished. As soon as I read that, I thought about, you know, that could be also said about the church today. While the birth of Christ ushered in the church aid, the church which stands over the nativity scene in Bethlehem is an illustration of the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Jesus said. When we speak of the church, that is, which is the body of Christ. Some 2,000, sometimes in the last 2,000 years, the church has been shaken from without. It has been threatened from within. But the true church, those of us who make up the body of Christ, still stand, though battered, not tarnished, because of the Lord Jesus. These words also could be said about Parkway Baptist Church. Here we are in our 52nd year. There have been threats to this church, some from without and some from within. And even though maybe we have been battered at times that we are not tarnished, we survive. But not only do we survive, we thrive because Jesus is alive. We thrive because Jesus is the one who is still in charge. I had the pleasure of visiting Bethlehem and the Church of Nativity some years ago on January the 7th. There's significance about January the 7th because... That is considered the Orthodox 
Christmas to many Europeans and many who are in Asia. And uh, so the place was very crowded as you come. And when people approached the church of the nativity and maybe the traditional very spot in which Jesus was laid in the manger, they have different reactions. Some of them approach it kind of stoically, thinking about the birth of the King of Kings, the Lord being born. Some of it kind of giddy as they look at it, come and see. And then others that are filled with emotion to think of all the things that happened with Christ not only being born, but all the reason in which He came. A preacher by the name of Phillips Brooks visited Bethlehem in 1865. That was a little before I visited Bethlehem. So, so impressed with, with he that he wrote a song for his children's Sunday school class. And he went back and you've heard the song, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. But how appropriate are the words in that song, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That thee, capital T H E E. Not just talking about that the hopes are met in Bethlehem, but the hopes he's speaking of Jesus. You're being here on this Lord's Day, on this December 26th, the day after the celebration of the birth of Christ shows your desire to celebrate as the Lord would have you to finish this year and be ready to start out well the next. Just as people crowd in the church the nativity in hopes to be in the presence of God, make no mistake that you are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and He is here with us even this morning. No one here, not one of you, has come to this place by mistake. The Lord knew you were going to be here. He has intended it as such. It is possible that there are some here, some not here, that may have not come, maybe even by mistake, understanding there are those who cannot be here. Shout out to those who are maybe at home or somewhere else or traveling, even watching today live stream. But the Lord has you and I a reason for us worshiping together. Certainly it is to continue the celebration of Christmas and to grow closer to Him and seek the presence and a touch from the living God. So this morning, this December 26th, I want us to travel together back to Bethlehem. Remember, back to the future Christmas work, you know. So we're going to travel together back to Bethlehem via the Scripture. And we're going to discover some life-changing lessons and truths from God's Word, but from some unlikely guests or for some unlikely people that are mentioned in the Christmas story. The truths themselves are really scriptural and eternal for all time, but the people that the Lord has chosen to teach us through probably would seem pretty unlikely. The first though of these, you have notes you could write down. They could be on the Jumbotron and no blanks like we usually fill in today, so you feel free to write down some if you like, but The first one is a controlling Caesar. A controlling Caesar. A Roman ruler was unknowingly used by God to fulfill prophecy and reveal eternal truths as Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem to be registered. Luke tells us, we read it here, maybe you've read it many times already this year or if not every Christmas. Caesar Augustus made a decree that all the world should be taxed. Do you know what part Caesar Augustus played in history? I love to tell this part of the Christmas story. You may have heard me even talk about this before. I try to wait a year or two or maybe think that perhaps you dozed off the last time I told it. So just in case you missed it, I want you to be able to hear. But you probably know about Caesar Augustus. You you probably know more than you think you know. I mean, you may know the whole story. But you remember Cleopatra of Egypt. You know her. History tells us she had several men in her life and some of those were famous men like, like uh, Mark Antony and Julius Caesar and also a nephew of Julius Caesar by the name of Octavian. Julius Caesar adopted his nephew Octavian. 
And then when Julius Caesar, if you know any history, was knocked off by 60 of his closest friends, when he was off the picture, Octavian became the ruler of Rome. Cleopatra of Egypt, meanwhile, she aligned herself with Mark Antony, and the two of them lost in a dramatic naval battle to Octavian, the ruler of Rome. So Octavian declared himself the ruler of the world. Now, why did I tell you this history lesson? Because Octavian changed his name when he became ruler. First, he took the name of his adopted father, Caesar. And then when the Senate tried to give him a title such as king or dictator or ruler, none of those exactly fit into what he wanted. So he took the name Augustus, which means the majestic one. It was an attempt to call himself as a god or a deity. So the name that we read so often in the Christmas story at this time of the year, maybe with a little thought, little thought Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Very little, I'm sure, for God. But so much, more, so much earthly effort in history took place to come to this culminating time as he was the ruler of the world, but God was using him so that there would be a sign and a decree and would have Mary and Joseph go back to Bethlehem. Let's just let's consider the prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus and the coming Messiah. We've talked about all of these. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we found that he would be born of woman. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, be born of Jude, one of the son of Abraham. Genesis chapter 49 and 10, he'd be of the tribe of Judah. 2 Samuel 7, that he would be of the family of David. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, be born of a virgin. We talked about that less than four, about 36 hours ago. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, born in Bethlehem, as we talk about today. Bethlehem means house of bread. The one who is the bread of life was to be uh, born in the place called this house of bread, and every single prophecy was fulfilled. The same God who gives power to the nations, who allows and sets up rulers for His purposes, takes it away for His purposes, not only works in the world events, hopefully as we see and we're reminded today, even as we see the name of Caesar Augustus, but you need to be reminded that He works in your world. That He's always at work. He's working to take the events of history, the events of your history, all the things that are happening around you today, for His purposes, so that we might become the people that He would have us to be, so that He might be at work in my life and in your life. You can believe that He's working around you for your good and for His glory. Augustus Caesar was enjoying what he called the Ramona Pax, or the peace of Rome. Since Rome had conquered what they believed was the known world, Augustus Caesar had declared peace. But the absence of war does not necessarily mean peace. Consider what was happening in that day. Taxes were on the rise. Unemployment was rampant. And there was an obtrusive government. Does any of that sound familiar? Hardly real peace. Political peace comes by treaty or conquering. But the angels declared there was another way of peace. In fact, the only way to peace on earth. It has more to do with character than circumstances. It has more... Uh, to do with goodness than guns. It has more to do with relationship than an earthly ruler. While a Roman Caesar sat in luxury in his palace in the largest city in the world and thought he was the king of the world and that he was in charge, there's a small town in Judea was one who was born the true king of the universe, the one who is the king of kings. The only one really in charge used this ruler in events in Rome and Egypt and Bethlehem so that people might be able to know the true ruler of the ages. So here's the first truth 
from the unlikely person in the Christmas story, from the controlling Caesar, is this. God is in charge of the world. He's still king. It's been the theme, for, by the way, throughout our month, throughout our celebration this December, that we can trust that he's in charge. And he was working 2,000 years ago. He is at work even now. A sales rep for a national sales organization uh, had a new sales manager, and one day they were driving through town, and the salesman asked his new manager, said, would you like to meet my family? We don't live far from here. My wife is cooking an apple pie. My children are getting home from school. Love for you to meet them. Would you like to come to my house and meet them? The new sales manager replied, let's get one thing straight right now. I'm not interested in your family. I'm not interested in your wife and children. I'm not interested in you personally at all or any of the circumstances of your life. The only thing I'm interested in is in the bottom line. How much money can you make? I'm only interested in your sales record. When Caesar Augustus sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, all he was interested in was to count them for tax purposes. But the one who was really in charge, the one who really sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, it was because not just that he was interested in them, but he sent them there because he was interested in you. The controlling Caesar teaches that God's just the opposite of that Caesar. He's not only in charge of world events. He's interested in your home and your family. He's interested in your spouse and your children. He cares about you personally. He cares about every circumstance, every care, every concern in your life. There's another unlikely Christmas guest in the story in which we have read, and that's the invisible innkeeper. Uh, some people are really shocked to find that there's no innkeeper actually mentioned in the Bible. We read verse 7, a minute ago she brought forth the firstborn because there was no room for them in the inn. We just assume if there's an inn, there must be an innkeeper. We're often pretty rough for not letting the, for, on the innkeeper for not letting pregnant Mary have a place to stay in the home. But when you consider that they probably arrived after six, after all, if you've ever traveled with a pregnant woman you know how many stops you're going to have to make along the way they probably had not secured it with a visa or a mastercard I always thought it would have been a great commercial to have mary and joseph arrive in bethlehem pregnant mary get off the one donkey they're walking in and they but this time they come and they are able to stay because they've made a reservation with capital one and then they ask what's in your wallet i just always thought that would be Traditionally, we also give credit to the innkeeper for sharing his stable. Oh, the innkeeper said, there's a stable around back. That's not found in the scripture. More amazed to find out there's no stable mentioned in the scripture. It just, we just assumed there must be a stable because there was a manger that the baby laid in a feeding trough, which I guess would have been in a stable, but probably uh, feeding troughs are often also found in public places. But that they were in a stable is not a stretch, but... Once again, God's purposes are at work. It was no mistake. Jesus was not to be born in a mansion or a palace or even in an inn. But the meager, rough surroundings of a stable to symbolize the, His humility and His availability. Well, we've invited you here this morning to celebrate. And there are some who simply did not have room in their schedule. Now, I don't know that you and I would be congratulated necessarily like we've done some, God, some kind of great favor that we're here today. But we're sure today that we want to be sure that not just the hour that we have given today, but that we're not crowding Jesus out of our heart or out of your, out of your life. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. The only place Jesus found was on the cross. The only place He found room. For most people in that day, small percentage accepted Him. Most people had no room for Jesus in their hearts. And even many people today, particularly in our culture, many people today have nothing against Jesus. They even have warm, sentimental feelings about Him, particularly in this season in which we live. But their hearts are really just too crowded for Jesus to enter in. Especially this time of year, if, uh, if hearts are not filled with anxiety and materialism and stress, then they may be filled with other worldly pursuits or perhaps simply filled with something else. Also know that there are family members and friends whose hearts are filled with grief and sorrow and loneliness, sometimes with little room for hope and joy. But the angel said, I bring you good tidings. In one of the Christmas plays, one of the, one of the girls played an angel, and she had, she had one line, young girl, she had one line, I bring you good tidings. She practiced it and practiced it, her one line, until finally she realized she had no idea what tidings were. So she did ask her mom, and her mom says, well, tidings means news. She said, well, that makes sense. Continue to practice. I bring you good tidings. And you can imagine how some children and adults have stage fright. And so when it came time for her big line that she practiced, she couldn't remember the word tidings. And so finally she just yelled, man, have I got news for you. <laughs> Letting Jesus in and giving Him charge of your life brings great joy, even for those whose schedules are too busy and whose hearts are filled with something other than joy. So here's our truth for the invisible innkeeper, our lesson that we want to learn. Jesus just don't want a room in your heart. He doesn't want just a place or part of your life. He doesn't want a stable in the back. Jesus wants it all. God wants to be in charge of all of your life. Oh, that's the good news. And the result is great joy. Now, we know that we need to give God charge of your life. It's not the first time that you've heard that. But how do we, how do, we do that? Let's, let's take just a moment and see if we can, might find some practical, biblical ways in which we might do that. The first one is this. Rejoice at new beginnings. Rejoice at new beginnings. If the birth of Christ should do anything, it should remind us that we serve a God who wants to bring freshness into our life. Every day when we get up, it's a chance for a new beginning instead of weary that we've blown it again. Or about worry about our circumstances. We are to confess our faults and bring our needs to the altar and turn the day over to Him. Every Sunday, even the last Sunday of 2021, every Sunday is a day of new beginning. And we're less than a week from the new year. We're just not talking about a new, a new resolution. But today, this Lord's Day, this very hour, is a chance for a fresh walk with the Savior. So not only rejoice at new beginnings, but you want to replace your priorities. Replace your priorities. Certainly our very first priority should be our relationship with Jesus. He's going to be at the top. But consider placing everything that's important in your life in a circle. If you're thinking about it, maybe if you think visually. Think of everything in your life. Your, your, your family and your friends and your career and sports and activities and hobbies. And everything that you can think of that's maybe even part of your schedule. Put those in a circle. But right in the center of the circle... You want to place the cross of Christ. 
For if Jesus is in the center, everything else will find their proper place and there will never be a no vacancy sign where Jesus wants to be at work in any area of your life. So rejoice at new beginnings, replace your priorities, and reject that which does not belong. Because when we place Jesus at the center of our life, there may be some things that do not belong. And this is where, if you truly want to be sure that Jesus is in the center, this is where you've got to be bold. Because there are likely to be some things that do not belong if Jesus is going to be in the center of an activity or something you do or something about your life. It, it may have to do with an unhealthy relationship. It could be happen to do with something that you watch. It could have to do with uh, activities or attitudes. For some people, it might even be a job or a career that you know God does not want you to be doing because you can't keep Christ in the center and keep doing what you've been doing. God's in charge of the world. He's in charge of the events around us more than we realize. And He wants to be in charge of your life. But we're the only creation. We're the only thing that made, that the Lord has made, that we have the choice. But if you rejoice new beginnings, replace priorities, reject actions and attitudes that do not belong, you'll begin to let God have control. But let me encourage you in this. Stop pursuing joy. Stop trying to be happy. As the Certainly there is joy and there's peace and it's the message of the good news. But instead of, instead of pursuing joy and pursuing happiness, pursue the Lord Jesus and a walk with Him because as I read the Bible and I understand it, even as I've experienced, the result of that is joy. It may not happen immediately. You may say, well, because we think of joy too much as a feeling. But it's actually uh, having ourselves satisfied with the Lord Jesus and serving Him. But it will happen. Pursue Jesus and the result will be joy. Third group of people that are a part of an unlikely people to learn unlikely lessons. And that's the searching shepherds. We probably talked more about them, maybe more than these other two. Because God chose to send the first singing Christmas card to the very lowest class in Palestine. Now they were considered low class because they didn't, uh, they didn't keep ceremonial laws. They never washed their hands in the ceremony proper way. They were not allowed in the temple. They had a terrible reputation of being dishonest. Maybe while they grazed their sheep, they might mix up whose sheep was whose sheep and try to take on more than that was theirs. They were considered so unreliable that they could not testify in court. Yet this is the group that God sent the angels to proclaim the good news on the night of the Savior's birth. A reminder of what Jesus told us, that Jesus came to save sinners. Originally, December 25th was a Roman holiday celebrating the worship of their sun god. But when Constantine, the emperor, became a believer in the 4th century, he declared that henceforth that day be remembered in honor of Christ, the light of the world. Actual date of Christ's birth is not known. Most say it would have been this time of year because the shepherd wouldn't be out grazing in the field, which may not necessarily be so because there were some sheep that were used around the Passover time and they would need to be prepared and ready for that around Jerusalem near Bethlehem, five miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and they would be out about this very time of year on the countryside so they might be ready for what's going to be coming in the coming months. Might be like our God, would it not? To send this message to the ones watching over the sacrificial sheep. The message about the sacrificial lamb of God. 
the shepherds were given a charge. They were to find the Christ child. While the wise men had the star, the shepherd had a true detective type venture. Go to Bethlehem and find the child wrapped in swaddling clothes, a common thing, but in a manger, that which would have been very uncommon. Now the world is searching, looking for answers in many different avenues. But the sign is the uncommon and not the common. It's the uncommon love found in Jesus. So if you're searching today or somebody's giving you answers and some of those things that seem very common to this world, you just need to keep searching. Luke chapter 2 verse 16 said they found the babe not just in swaddling clothes, the common, but in the uncommon simple manger. And the word for found means to find after a search. So keep searching till you find that uncommon, unconditional, godly love found it and it is produced in your own heart. So God used the angels to speak to Joseph and Mary and the shepherds for the purpose of changing hearts. There's a, there's a new book out just has come out called God With Us, A Journey Home. It's the story of the Bible from the angels' perspective. I've not read all of it, but just parts of it. But imagine for a moment what it was for the angels to see God's purpose unfold because they've already been in, they've already been in the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ. They've already been in the presence of the King of Kings, the great I Am, creator of the universe. They've already been in the presence of Jesus. Then seeing the Christ child born in a lowly manger in human form, experiencing pain and sorrow. They didn't say, oh, what a, what a pitiful sight. They didn't say, what a terrible thing. They didn't feel sorry for Jesus. Instead, they fulfilled their task and the mission and they sang the most, most spectacular song ever heard on earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The King James says, glory to God in the highest on earth peace. Good, which is what we read a moment ago, goodwill toward men. Uh, the angels sang about the Christ child, proclaimed the birth of the Savior to the world and the lowly shepherds. What did, what did the shepherds do? Last part of verse 15 Luke chapter 2, we find these words. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And they went and did as they were told. Well, the searching, the searching shepherds, or we might call them the sharing shepherds in a moment. Verses 17 and 18 says this. Luke chapter 2, we read through verse 14, read 15, verse 17 and 18. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So here's the lesson from the searching shepherds. Like the shepherds, God has given us a charge to keep. You called all of those things, didn't you? We recognize that God is in charge of all the world. We recognize God wants to char take charge of your life. And now we know that we have a charge to keep. We're to know and to experience the love of Jesus and to share that uncommon love with the world. Some 2,020 plus perhaps birthdays have taken place since that first Christmas. We can now buy gifts on Amazon even though they no longer guarantee two-day delivery. 
We can now tweet Christmas cards. We can text and email greetings, whatever that it is that you want to do. It has to do with Christmas. I'm sure there's an app for that. Boy, things have changed. But I want to take you back. We've gone back 2,000 some odd years. I want to take you back about 100 years. For I'm reminded of a country church in North Texas and its oldest member who is now gone to be with the Lord. But at the age of 93, she shared with Kelly and I one of her first earliest Christmas memories in the early part of the 20th century. The year was about 1911, over 100 years ago. On Christmas morning, everyone gathered at the church house. They came in covered wagons or uh, down by mule or horse-drawn carriages or walked the muddy dirt street. Everybody in that church pretty much was related or they were just about related. And so they all did Christmas at the church. Everyone brought their gifts. They put it under the Christmas tree. Christmas tree, as in her mind, was that it touched the top of the 25-foot ceiling in the sanctuary. Prayers were prayed and songs were sung. Gifts were given. Not as many or not as, as expensive. Many of them handmade. The meeting at the church on Christmas Day went on for many years, not just when Sunday happened to be on, when Christmas happened to be on, sin, on Sunday. It was a simpler time. But the same charge to the shepherd 2,000 years ago, the same charge to this little church 100 years ago, and to you and I today, the commission is the same. It is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. So remember, particularly if you have decided that you want to give control of your life over to Jesus, remember that we have a charge to keep. I don't know that life is more difficult today. could have been more difficult back at the time of Jesus or even 100 years ago, but it definitely seems more complicated. But no matter how difficult or complicated life gets, all people involved in the Christmas story, even those who say may seem less significant or uh, less, un- less likely, they all point to this fact. God loves you. He wants to take charge of your life for His glory and for your good. Do you know Jesus? Not just do you know about Him, do you know the Christmas story, do you know the basic facts, but do you know Him personally? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, whether you're in this room, you're listening, perhaps live stream, that you want to put your faith in Christ. You don't want to wait. You don't want to put it off. But today, even this very hour, you want to call upon Jesus, ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, and ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life. All things that have happened in the world, all things that have happened in history, everything that happened in the Christmas story, everything that happened in Easter, in the resurrection, from that time unto this has been so that you might be able to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? If you know Him today, you want to continue to know Him even closer. You want to continue to have a closer personal walk with Him and you want to make Him known to others as well by the life you live, by the words that you speak. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this this opportunity that we have to be able to come and be able to worship You in this way. Father, we thank You that the Christmas celebration does not have to end, but it can continue every day. We thank you, Father, that even in the midst of winter, we can recognize that uh, Jesus gives light and hope. And we thank you, Father, for the grace that's been bestowed upon us. May we continue to show great faith by following you. We do pray, Father, if there's one or more here or listening today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. This Christmas season, this year, 
And Father, we pray for all those who are believers, all those who are genuine followers of you today. Father, we pray that we may be ever so committed, not just because of our service here today, but we recognize in the sense of our celebration, even the things that have happened in the world over these past 22 months, that you're still at work. You're still king. We can trust in you and our faith can grow even stronger. Thank you, Father, for how you continue to be at work in our lives. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be part of the kingdom work. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen.